the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning, Little Rock. This is Nick Horton filling in for the great Dave Ellswick once again. It's great to be back. Uh, Last week was a lot of fun. Uh, I was surprised how many people reached out to me afterwards and said, wow, you really have a great radio voice. Um, I was very flattered and surprised by that. You know, my whole life, my parents have told me I had a face for radio. So, you know, I wasn't surprised to hear that. But to hear that I had a, a voice for radio, that was uh, that was definitely a surprise. Um, so thank you, thank you for uh, all of you that listened, and uh, we had a we had a great time. We're gonna have a great time again today. We've got three solid hours. Remember six to eight, and then a little bit of a break, and then a bonus hour at nine a.m. About nine oh five, we'll be back. We'll go to uh, ten o'clock. We've got several great guests again. Um, special thanks to all of our guests from last week, especially our next governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. It was great to catch up with her and hear, hear more about what she's hearing on the campaign trail. I know she's been really busy traveling to every corner of the state, listening to voters, listening to Arkansas small business owners, hearing from just real people, everyday Arkansans, about what they're facing so it was really great to get to catch up with her. Uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by State Representative Marcus Richmond. He is also the House Republican Majority Leader here in Arkansas. So a great state legislator, but also someone who is in leadership in the House Republican Caucus. And we'll talk to him a little bit about what he's hearing from everyday Arkansans. And what's coming up in the legislative session? You folks probably know because you are a a very intelligent listening audience based on the fact that you listen to Dave Ellswick. You probably know this, but we only have a legislative session, a full, true legislative session every other year in Arkansas. So it's a big, it's a big moment. It's a big opportunity. It only comes around every two years and it's coming up in January. And it'll run through probably early to mid-April is typically when they wrap up. And there's a lot to be done. We talked about uh, last week, we talked about our crime crisis, our foster care crisis, our dependency crisis. And you're going to hear us talking more about all of those things today as well. But, I, you know, we talked a little bit about we got to be patient. I mean... 
Listen, I'm the, I'm the least patient person in the world. Oh, and by the way, happy anniversary to my lovely wife. Uh, she's probably awake by now because when I got up and left, I probably woke up the dog and the kids and everyone else in the house. But I left my wife of now nine years to come be with you all. Um, so that tells you how much I care about each one of you. But in all seriousness, uh, happy anniversary to my wonderful wife. I should tell her more often how wonderful she is, but I'm very grateful for her and grateful that she's somehow been able to put up with me for nine years. So happy anniversary today. But we're talking about legislative session coming up. Really a rare opportunity. A once every two year opportunity. And by the way, you only get, you know, one first session with your new governor. And your new governor only gets one first legislative session. So not to put too much pressure on anybody. Because again, we got to be patient. It took us a long time to dig this hole that we're in. Violent crime through the roof. I think it's hard for us to appreciate, for lack of a better term, how bad it's really gotten because we live in it. And we've just almost been conditioned to it. But violent crime in Arkansas is 70% higher than the national average. I've been talking about that for months and I still find it hard to believe that it's that bad but it really is and honestly all you got to do is open a newspaper or open social media or turn on the radio or turn on the tv or walk down the street talk to a small business owner the ripple effects of this crime crisis that we're in are immense and really difficult i think it's going to be there's so many layers to it We'll probably It's kind of like the pandemic. We'll probably never know all the ways that it's affected us, truly. But there's some obvious effects that we're seeing and feeling. And I think, particularly with an issue like crime, it's really easy. It's easier than some other public policy issues to look two, four, eight, ten years down the road and realize what some of the ramifications are going to be if we don't get this under control. So at 6.30, we're going to talk more in depth about that with State Senator Ben Gilmore. You may have seen he wrote a terrific op-ed over the weekend. It was published in the Democrat Gazette on Sunday about this very issue, our crime crisis. And really, the, you know, the takeaway for me from that piece was you know, the the effects of this, the economic effects of this. Obviously, there's a there's a personal, uh, you know, public safety aspect to this where families are feeling at risk. Families are being victimized, and that's the most significant problem. But there's also economic consequences. And that's going to, frankly, spiral into more crime, more poverty, more dependency, if we don't get it under control. So we'll talk to him coming up at 6.30. In the 7 o'clock hour, we'll talk to Representative French Hill, Congressman French Hill. And then at 7.30, we'll talk to Congressman Bruce Westerman. Uh, But we're going to go ahead and take a break right now. And when we come back, 
we will be joined with representative or by i should say representative marcus richmond the arkansas house republican majority leader uh and we'll talk to him about many of these issues stay tuned the dave ellswick show all right the dave ellswick show this is nick horton filling in for the great dave ellswick uh i'd like to say i'm a far less handsome version of dave dave ellswick um but my parents always told me i have a face for radio so here we are um, we're we're privileged to be joined right now with uh, Representative Marcus Richmond, the Republican House Majority Leader. Uh, Representative, are you with us? Yes, I am, Nick. How are you doing? Hey, today? I'm great. You know, I wanted to apologize for making you get up so early, but then I thought, you know, he's a veteran. He's he's probably been up for three hours uh, doing push-ups and working in the garden and no telling what else. Well, I've probably been up been awake for about three hours but i wasn't up so, <laughs> a while, while back that happens you know uh, it seemed like uh, you wake up earlier and earlier as you get a little older yeah yeah i can relate to that um well hey thanks so much for your time um first things first would you tell folks tell folks a little bit about your district i know we've all we've just got through redistricting so the districts have changed quite a bit but tell folks about uh, the great people that you represent well, the uh, the old district, uh, of course, it was one of the largest in the state. Very rural, and it's still a rural district. But it, you know, it ran from Fort Smith down to Mena, and all the way over to uh, Hot Springs Village. It was just a really large district with a lot of national forest in it. it took about five hours to drive across it if you were trying to wow. get from one side to the other. Uh, good people, uh, good relationships, and everything, but. Uh, the redistricting was actually uh, uh, pretty good as far as, you know, it, it made it a more manageable district. Uh, now, I'm, you know, I'm kind of down in southern Sebastian County, have all of Scott County, and then about two-thirds of Yale County, uh, including Dardanelle and Danville. And so it, it makes it a little easier to get around and, and get from one event to the other. And, uh, and, and so I'm pleased about that. Uh, of course, it's, uh, you know, w- when you have a new district, uh, Usually you've got folks uh, that are new to you, and so you have to do a lot of work uh, really trying to get out there and let people know who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you've been doing a lot of that. Uh, You know, of course, it's campaign season right now. I know you've been hitting the football games and the parades and out talking to voters. What are you hearing from voters? Uh, This is kind of something we're talking to every legislator, and, you know, we talked to Sarah Sanders last week about what she was hearing from, from voters. What's on people's minds? Well, I think the, the, the dominating information uh, that I get from voters and stuff really, uh, and this is, I, I think, maybe a reflection of, of that Arkansas, that we have had the right policies and been moving in the right direction, but it's more at the national level than, than I think I've ever witnessed because uh, there's so much uncertainty, there's so much crime, uh, there, the gas prices, I'm just watching news this morning, of course, you know, OPEC is getting ready to cut production by about a million barrels. And, and, you know, the Biden administration has been draining our strategic reserves by a million barrels. Uh, You know, all the work that went into that to actually build up strategic reserves. I mean, you know, uh, President Trump, he knew what he was doing. And and I'm I'm telling you, it's just, it's bizarre to set and watch policy that is absolutely detrimental to every American in this country, and especially for folks that live out here in rural America. I mean, 
you know, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't care how many windmills you put on a tractor or a baler or anything else. It's not going to make it get around the hayfield. It's just never going to happen. And so the the idea of you know cutting our production of energy and everything has just driven the cost and inflation up to the point where people just just they're fighting to survive, fighting to get groceries on the table, and that hmm. that dominates uh, every conversation. It's like you know what the heck is going on. And uh, and we all know what's going on. We've got yeah. uh, administration that is absolutely uh, going to do what most of us look at is right the opposite of what needs to be done. Yeah, well, and I think you touched on something, and the voters in your district are touching on something that, you know, frankly, that this inflation issue, I mean, it, it, when it first kind of started, I thought, oh, this is really bad, but are people going to really... Are people going to really be aware of it, right? You hear inflation. It's kind of a technical term. It's an economic term. But it's gotten so bad and invaded so many sectors of the economy. Uh, the price of everything is up. And, and then doesn't, you know, the shortages, you want to you buy a, a toaster or a microwave or whatever it is. It's on back order for six months. I mean, I've experienced that. It's crazy what's going on. And uh, and good for you for, you know, giving folks in your district a, a listening ear on that. I know you as a state legislator can't necessarily fix all of those issues, but certainly there are some things that can be done at the state level to try to curb inflation and try to put more money in the pockets of, of hardworking Arkansans. Anything that's kind of on your radar, we've been talking about you know legislative sessions coming up, anything you want to kind of forecast on or things that you're thinking about from from leadership standpoint of, of ways that the state legislature can start to kind of fight back and push back on inflation? Well, I, you know, we've already taken steps during the special session. I think the the idea of going ahead and accelerating the tax cuts. Now, these are cuts that were made back in the last uh, uh, legislative session, and they were just waiting to be implemented as we go along. We don't want to, you know, cut a, cut taxes too fast and find ourselves in a spot where we can't pay for the services we're supposed to pay for. So, you know, we're trying to be very uh, very intelligent about how we move forward with this, but. You know, we see the surplus. We have an opportunity to accelerate those tax cuts. That puts a little bit more money back into the pockets of uh, of working Arkansans, and and you know those people need the relief the most. I mean, I find still uh, those poor folks that uh, actually get up and go to a job, uh, they get the least help from mm. the government, and and you know they because they work, they don't qualify for much of anything, and and even you know with the efforts that was made with the. The Obamacare, which, uh, by the way, my opponent voted for uh, here several years ago when it was first introduced, uh, they 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 don't qualify. I was just talking to a guy the other day that uh, because of uh, you know he's a farmer and he can't afford the insurance because he doesn't get any help at all, and so he's still a guy walking around without insurance. And of course, we've heard that drum beat you know for years now about accessibility and everything. So. You know, those are the kind of things that uh, that are still out there that we need to look at. The other thing, you know, again, I don't want to forget about the fixed income folks because that's exactly where they are on fixed income, and inflation is probably killing them worse than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to we need to make sure. And one of the things that that I think is incredibly important is to make sure that with the property values going up, and the reason why you've had you know the, these uh, refugees escaping from California and uh, Oregon and Washington State, 
they roll in here with a pocket full of money, and they'll, you know, they see something they want, they'll pretty well spend any amount that uh, that is asked for. And of course, the assessors, a lot of the assessors see that, and they're rolling in hot on uh, these new prices. And and we don't want long-term Arkansas residents to be driven off of their property because they can't pay the property tax. And so we've got to be sure we buffer that and, and keep that from being something that just takes off and, and really does to us what happened up in Maine when I was stationed in Maine. I was in the Marine Corps and stationed in Maine for a little while. And Boston did the same thing as you see now. They, they got fed up. They all uh, escaped from Boston, went up to Maine, bought property all over there, and then people were losing farms and things that had been in their families for, you know, hundreds of years. They couldn't afford mm. to pay the property. And so, again, you know, that's one thing. And then, uh, you know, look at, is there a way that we can allow people that when they hit a certain age, I don't know, 65, 70, something like that, that they can actually own their home, that they don't have, that they yeah. can quit renting it from the government. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at some point, some point you paid for your house. And so, you know, are those things that we can do? And we have to explore that and make sure we know all of the consequences. And, and it's just as important to know what detrimental effect it might have, uh, you know. And, of course, this next session, we'll look at, I'm sure there may be more talk about more tax cuts and things. You know, I, I'd like to get down to 3.9% if we can do it. Uh, and, you know, and like like most of us, we want to go to zero. We'd like to get yeah. rid of income tax. Absolutely. I think that's how you re- reward workers. The one thing we have to watch out for is that we don't need to go to zero and then you look around all the counties and everybody else because they're they're not getting the revenue that they need uh, from the state that's that's helped them in the past schools and everything else. And suddenly you see all of your your property taxes going sky high, or or they're having to raise uh, you know sales tax and stuff in those counties. We, we we really need to be sure that we're very smart about this. Yeah. Uh, how we do it and how much time we take, and and hopefully we'll get to zero percent here. I may not still be in the uh, legislative uh, <laughs> house uh, when it happens, but you know what? It, it's a word to go. Yeah, well, we uh, absolutely. We're talking with uh, Representative State Representative Marcus Richmond, um, the House Republican Majority Leader. You touched on something there, well, at the beginning and at the end of your, of your answer about the income tax, and you, you made, I think, a really, really great point that the way we're set up right now, you know, you you, you framed it sort of as workers get the least amount of help right because they they're out earning and working and they don't get any they don't qualify for any of the programs or any of this but then also on the back end with the income tax they actually get punished i mean they they get they get punished for working and earning and earning more because government comes in and says no we're going to take our cut of that and so you you've got it you know you you, you kind of get it coming and going in terms of you don't get as much help but then you're also expected to pay the piper, right, and pay for all these programs, some of which are really important, right? And so we talked about that last week. The programs should be there for people that truly need them, the aged, the blind, the disabled, low-income kids. Um, we've got to protect those things. But what we've seen in Arkansas and in many states around the country, the programs have just gotten so big and so expansive 
um, that we're really, really trying to be all things to all people. State Representative Richmond, uh, we got just another couple minutes. Um, what? Anything uh, else about upcoming session? The elections coming up in just a few weeks. Uh, anything else you want to want to let folks know about? Well, I think that uh, you that when it comes to the election, people really need to go out. Uh, be sure that you know what somebody stands for. Uh, you know, take a look at the voting record. We've got some elections around Little Rock. Uh, Heather Turchie, uh, there's there's somebody that's taken on a, a incredibly liberal Democrat, someone who has never seen an abortion she didn't like, uh, and that's Representative Hudson. And and I truly believe that uh, uh, that uh, Little Rock is not that way. That uh, that particular district there in Western Little Rock is more cons- uh, conservative when it comes to life, uh, more conservative when it comes to income taxes more conservative when it comes to big government, uh, really need to do that. And there's other races along the state as well where you've had maybe somebody that's been a long-term Democrat district, and look what the Democrats have brought you. Look at what we have. We've got inflation. Basically, we've got insanity running our government right now at the national level. And, and if you don't think that has an impact on state ability to, to take care of the people, and to to have good uh, policy, uh, then you're mistaken. It, it is yeah. a struggle because you have to work your way through all of this. Nonsense. We got to go, State Representative. Thank yeah. you so much. We got a hard break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. I am a slightly less handsome version of Dave Ellswick. Nick Horton filling in again for the great Dave Ellswick. Uh, many thanks to. State Representative Marcus Richmond, uh, my apologies. Uh, we got cut a little bit short there at the end, but really enjoyed talking to him, hearing about you know what he's hearing from voters, uh, talk a lot about inflation, uh, talked a lot about, about tax cuts and some things coming up in the legislative session. Uh, if you want to go back and listen, you can do so on the website, 1011fmtheanswer.com. I think I got that right. Okay, Heidi's nodding. So 101fmtheanswer.com. You can go back and listen to our interview. Uh, But right now, we have a really extra, super special treat for you. We're privileged to be joined in studio by State Representative... Oh, State Senator. You got a promotion. Uh, Hey, Nick. Ben Ben Gilmore. I don't know if we've ever met. State Senator Ben Gilmore. Uh, Glad to have you. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for Great coming to be by. here. Yeah, so uh, redistricting just screwed everything up. I can't remember the district numbers and who represents what, and you know it's, it's complicated. So tell tell folks about your district. You don't have to go into a ton about how it changed, but sure. What's absolutely. your district look like now? Yeah, so the easiest way to describe it is uh, the whole southeast corner of Arkansas, right? So uh, currently, it's District Twenty Six which um, covers Ashley, Bradley, Chico, parts of Deshaies, parts of Lincoln, uh, parts of Cleveland County. Um, That has shifted now to Senate District 1, lucky number one. Well, you did get promoted. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. there you go. And uh, so now I have parts of Jefferson, parts of Grant, parts of Cleveland, um, and then everything else stayed the same uh, except for I lost uh, parts of Deshaies that I had. Okay, so not a huge shift in the district. Um, do you have an opponent? I don't. Okay, 
So yeah. congratulations on thank, your thank re-election. You, thank you. I, I think I voted the right way. So um, that that tends to help. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does it makes uh, a difference. Well, yeah, that, when you out. when you try to represent the values of your district, uh, I think it works out well for you. <laughs> well, um, you had a great piece that ran this weekend. So it's one of the things we you definitely want to talk about uh, today. Uh, Crime crisis threatens our future was the title of of an op-ed that ran in the Democrat Gazette on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday. Just high level, what what compelled you to write this piece, and and what are you worried about when it comes to crime? I mean, I think it's something that's on a lot of people's minds. But tell tell folks about you know just kind of where your head's at on this issue and why you felt like it was important to speak out. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I, I think to your point, it is on everyone's minds, right? I think, uh, you know, sitting here in the studio in central Arkansas, um, I, I, you know, you turn on the news and you see headlines. You you're, you see stories of people getting shot. I, I saw a story just yesterday about a mother of a toddler that was shot here in Little Rock. Tragic mm. stuff. Mm. Um, and, and so I think the question probably is, well, why is a senator from southeast Arkansas worried about crime in Little Rock? Well, it's not just Little Rock. Um, It's starting to trickle out. Policies that we've been okay with for a long time in Arkansas have started um, um, creating a a system, a broken system, where we're letting criminals go free. And that was kind of the topic of my op-ed when I'm talking about, you know, how do we need to be competitive in the state? We've done a lot of good work on taxes. Uh, we've done a lot of good work on re- reducing regulatory burden. Ton more to do, as you know. You're someone who kind of leads in in that fight um, from a, a you know just a policy standpoint. You get it. But one of the things that we can't ignore is is the crime, and we're starting to see that trickle out um, throughout the the state and into my district. And and I don't want to miss opportunities. Because businesses look at our state and they're like, wow, that's a really dangerous place. You know, there's a couple of things when it comes to economic development that, that companies look at when they're going to locate somewhere. And one of those is, is crime rate. The other is good schools. Uh, we got a lot of work to do on both of those. Um, you're not, but I think the crime has to be addressed first. I mean, yes, we can still tweak around the edges when it comes to education, and we're going to do that. I think that's one of the things that's coming in the session. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, but as, as long as you ignore, and I think it's easy to ignore because you're like, well, that happens in you know, you know, different parts of the 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 state, or it happens in different parts of the city. It doesn't happen in my neighborhood. Well, that's not the case. It is rampant, mm. and it is infiltrating everywhere. And so as long as we keep releasing violent criminals back into our streets, I think I even said that in the op-ed, uh, when we keep releasing violent criminals back in our streets, the violence is going to continue to rise. I mean, there's you know, a couple of numbers. I think one of the, one of the numbers is we've grown by 69%, I think was something I, I put, in, put in the op-ed, 69%. Um, that's incredible. Not in a good way, yeah. right? That's really, really yeah. bad. And so when we're talking economic development, that's something we've got to address. And I look forward to working on that in the session. Well, one of the things I you know, I appreciated about the piece, but also appreciate about you and the lieutenant governor, uh, Tim Griffin, and others who talk about this issue a lot is, you know, in general, we're all policy people, right? So like, we like talking about numbers. We like talking about well, it went up by this much or that much, or we're spending this much money or we're saving this much money. And if we're not careful, and I've caught myself doing this even this morning, 
we just focus on the facts, you know, and I think that's our tendency as conservatives, just the facts. But what you guys do is so important in terms of, I mean, these aren't victimless crimes. There are people on the other side of these bullets uh, that are flying around Little Rock and our other communities. And so in the piece, uh, you know, you talked about that, a lady from, uh, I believe it was Monticello, Miss Esther, Esther Hudson, um, and, and something she experienced and was killed uh, by a parolee and someone that had been released early. I just think it's so easy. I don't know why, but it's so easy to forget and to just focus on the data mm. and the facts mm. and to forget the people and their families that are left behind that have been through these traumatic experiences and, and harmed by bad government policy. Yeah. I mean, basically. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point, Nick. And and I think it's something that we've got to do better as conservatives is, yeah, it, it's easy to talk about the facts. I think our 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 policies are they win right we know this um but we also have to put it in in, in, you know in in terms that everyone gets right it's easy to sit here and talk about crime rates and talk talk about this and talk about headlines but to your point that the story in monticello a tragic story when when you're out shopping you're buying groceries and you're loading groceries in your car like mrs hudson was in monticello you shouldn't have to worry that some person criminal who had been released far too early is going to come and strike you with their car and kill you. Now, albeit by accident in his case, I don't think he went to that Monticello Walmart and was sitting there and was waiting to kill someone. I know this because when you read the reports, he had meth and he had marijuana in his system. So here's a here's a parolee getting out of prison, gets behind the wheel of a car, high on drugs and strikes and kills Mrs. Hudson hits like five other cars in the parking lot should never been out of jail he had 40 disciplinary um, uh, accounts on his record in prison yeah. in prison should yeah. never been released it's shocking should never been released and and the other thing i want to say too tim griffin has been a leader on this issue and i appreciate that when he's uh, attorney general uh, i know he's going to keep leading on this really excited uh, for him to be attorney general i'm just going to go ahead and call it right now the race it's done it's over tim griffin whoa, tim griffin's going to be whoa. the guy breaking uh, news on 101 <laughs> yeah right fm the answer uh, you heard it here first tim griffin will be the next attorney general of the state of arkansas Boom. Boom. Uh, big big prediction. We're going <laughs> to write that down. Um, but no, I, 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 I'm glad you said that because, I mean, I give Tim, uh, Lieutenant Governor, a ton of credit for, like, raising a ton of awareness about this issue. Sure. I, I personally uh, have benefited from that because, you know, I've talked a lot. We talked last week even about how, you know, I don't live in Little Rock. I live in Faulkner County. It's relatively safe, you know, but then you, then you start reading the news and you start hearing these stories and from Tim and, and yourself and others. And it's like, I mean, we had we had two homicides in Conway, Arkansas, within 48 hours of each other just a few months ago, just a few miles from from where my family and my kids live. Um, so it's been easy, I think, at times. And maybe you can relate to this to just think, well, it, it's a Little Rock problem. Right. It's just a Little Rock problem. Um, and it has been to some degree. But one of the other pieces you make, I think, that's really compelling in the piece is so, as the capital city goes, so goes the state. 
yeah. right? That yeah. Little Rock, for better or for worse, in a lot of ways, is the lifeblood of our state. Um, yeah. And so if, if we lose Little Rock, you know, it, it's going to spill out into the rest of the state, and that's what we're seeing right well, now. Well, it, it is. And, and, of course, I hate to, to give Little Rock that much credit. I mean, obviously, it's uh, – <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of issues wrong with with Little Rock. Um, not only is it driven and governed by a lot of uh, Democrat failed Democrat policies, which has helped lead to the crime uh, that they're facing. Um, but again, I just hate to give it that much credit. But to your point, and what the point I made in the op-ed, it is it is the truth, right? When a when a company is looking to locate, one of the first things you, you can do when you when you talk to them is. Um, how'd you, you know, why'd you decide on Arkansas? Or why did you decide, well, you know, we've been looking around the state. We, you know, we pull up news articles from, from, um, from Arkansas, Little Rock. And, uh, you know, we hit the, the, the media market is here in Little Rock. Yeah. If you want to know what's going on yep. in the state, it's here in Little Rock. And so when they pull up news articles or they're going to see, hey, what's going on in, Little, in, in, in Arkansas, they're going to go to the media market here in Arkansas and they're going to be like, Wow, they have rampant crime problems. That's right. And and it is because of that, the the problem in in Little Rock seems more prevalent, right? Because they're driving a lot of the statewide sure. news. The main media market is here. But to your point again, it's state policy with our parole system and yeah. some of these other broken systems that we have in place. That's what's that's what's leading to a lot of this. So it's it's it seems centralized it in Little Rock. But it's really state policy that that's creating it a lot is. of this. It is, and 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 you know, I think probably at some point a question is going to be for me: what's coming in the session? This yeah, is coming. what's coming in the session. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is coming in the session. Uh, we've got to address this. We've got to fix. First of all, we've got to keep violent offenders in prison where they belong. Um, look, it doesn't mean that we we don't believe in second chances or and all these different things. But you know what? When when it comes to some crimes, there there's pretty heavy consequences, or should be. And we've got to figure out a way to keep violent offenders locked up where they where they belong, where they can't do more harm. That's just the bottom line of it. Yeah. And and so we're going to see that push. I think Tim Griffin's going to be leading that, and I'm really excited. For well, that. there's a there's a deterrent effect too, right? Like yeah. if someone doesn't think if they go out and commit armed assault or armed robbery, uh, and and they don't think there's any consequences for that, why wouldn't they do it? I mean, if that's their tendency, if that's what they want to do. What's stopping them from doing it? If they know they can, yeah, I might get a 20-year sentence, but I'm only going to do three or four years, and then I'll get out on good behavior. Absolutely. There's no deterrent there. Yeah. Well, um, and, 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 you know, one of, the, one of the great throwaway lines of our liberal friends is, well, you're locking up people, you know, that, that shouldn't be in prison. They have some minor drug charge or whatever. Nonsense. Nonsense. You have liberal friends? Well, I mean, I'm trying to be. Smart. Oh, okay. I mean, I, 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 on occasion, I, I was kind of, I was kind of, you know, thinking of you a little bit. But anyway, oh. <laughs> out, Trey. Uh, that hurts. <clears throat> uh, we're talking with State Senator Ben Gilmore from District One now in Southeast Arkansas. We got to go to a quick break, um, but Senator Gilmore is going to stick around. We'll be right back on the Dave Ellswick Show. The Dave Ellswick Show. Nick Horton filling in for the great Dave Ellswick. We are still privileged. To still be joined wow. with State Senator Ben Gilmore be from District 1. You know, I've been told uh, during the break here a little bit, I need to work on my transitions to break. Um, yeah. So I'm going to work on that. I'm gonna Don't work quit on your day job. You know, it's funny. Like last week was the first time I'd ever done this on this side of the desk. And I felt like 
it was better. Like I was smoother with the with the brakes. Folks, um, let me let me just tell you, like uh, watching him in this chair when it comes to brakes <laughs> is like he's frantic. He's frantic, and so like I'm talking mid talking, all of a sudden you hear like either music or he's like like wrap it up, like <laughs> cut. This is why I wish I had the camera going uh, for the Facebook live stream. Oh, it'd so be fun. People be would fun. know that that's not true. No, um, we, would have, we would have proof. It's pretty true. It's pretty um, yeah. well, we've been talking about our crime crisis. Uh, you mentioned before the break, you know, violent crime in Arkansas, 69, almost 70 percent higher than the national average. Um, I saw a number and maybe you saw this. We, we just ranked number four in something. It wasn't good. It was related to crime. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Uh, Maybe may in Little Rock, top top five most dangerous city Maybe. Uh, per capita. I think that that number is out there as well. It, it's really bad. Um, and I think, again, we've been talking about the victim side of this. We've been talking about the economic consequences of this. There's a lot of ramifications. And, you know, what's crazy to me, what's crazy to me about this issue is I mean, I remember talking about this 15 years ago. I remember state legislators, when I was working for the the previous state-based think tank here in Arkansas, standing up in, in committee and talking about our parole crisis and talking about our crime crisis. That fourth, was 2012. Fourth highest violent crime rate, Arkansas. Arkansas. Wow. Uh, That's crazy. Not something we should be proud of. I know we don't want to be 49th and everything anymore, but that's probably not, you know, yeah, not, we don't not be, where we want to go. We don't want to be top 10 in that category. We don't want to be top 10 on that on that issue for sure. Um, so legislative session's coming up. Mm-hmm. What's on your mind? What are you thinking about well, for legislative session? Any any uh, spoilers you want to release? Well, I, I don't think it's any any surprise. Uh, I'll think about the spoilers, uh, but I don't think it's any surprise that we need to address um, the crime issue. Um, I'm planning to work on that. Um, there's sort of a uh, makeshift task force that's kind of pulled together. Tim Griffin leading it. Um, you know, on the Senate side, I think I think is, are you, you might be involved some way or another in that. I don't know. Um, not that I know of. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. Well, you're always a you know a bright 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 guy with great I, ideas. Hey, I always have something to say. True. That's one, that's one thing you True. can say about me. I've got True. a face for radio. Until, until and I've always got something. Until to we say. get to a break, and then you're like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh. So <laughs> we're having a lot of fun, folks. Um, no, so I think we're going to be working on that. I'm get, uh, you know going to be leading some of that in the Senate um, as far as the policy goes. Lots of things we need to do there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a prison is 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 something that we need. Um, uh, we don't have enough space. That's something we don't like to talk about, something we wish we didn't have to talk about. Um, but we're going to have to do some work there, uh, unfortunately. So that's going to be something and then look Nick you know me like I'm I'm always looking for ways to uh, better our position competitively in, or in, you know as a state in our country uh, so I'm always, I'm going to be looking at things like that you know one of the things that I'm really proud of that we did was um, the mirroring the depreciation tables uh, kind of an obscure thing nobody's really really paying really paying attention yeah. to that huge deal um, T- tell folks more about that what that means yeah so you know for forever we've been in i say forever um probably the last 15 years we've been at a disadvantage competitively well i need to you know discompetitively discompetitively right yeah um and 
Sorry, I just saw that Terry Rice was texting me, and so I had to read that. State Senator Terry Rice, great guy. Um, is he listening? I, 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 he must be. Okay. Um, All right. So All right. Um, we got you know, one listener. Well, yeah, exactly. And when Terry texts you, you you stop. You stop everything you're doing. and You read that. Um, in this case, uh, he doesn't offer very much. I hope you're listening, Terry. Hey, we have two minutes till break. We have two minutes. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks just for that. Warn you. So I'm getting better. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, yeah, during the during the special session recently, uh, we addressed that. We had two depreciation tables, one state, one federal. And so when you're trying to keep track of these things, uh, it gets pretty confusing. Um, and so what we decided to do is basically mirror the, the state depreciation table with federal. Um, we had, you know, where you could take the, the full cost of, a, of an asset over a depreciator of four years, drags it out, stuff to keep track of. And then, you know, after the session, we consolidated down to you can take the full price of that over one year. So, okay, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what that, re- what that means in like real terms is if you're an Arkansas small business owner, let's say you're a farmer, you go buy a tractor, government was artificially saying you can't deduct the full cost of that tractor from your, from your income in one year. You got to spread it out over time. Yeah. Not really sure what the reasoning was. But at some point, somewhere, arbitrary. Someone I mean, in government we, decided that was the. Best we're really way to good do, right? in Arkansas we're about really just good. just doing arbitrary things. That's right. Like that. And so what we did, what you did, uh, and led well, on. Well, Senator Dismay actually ran the bill, but but I advocated for that, as did he, give, as did yeah. Representative Beatty. Yes, yes. Fair enough. I give I, you a lot of credit for being Terry Rice was involved. Senator, I hope you heard Senator that. Senator Terry Rice. Uh, a lot of folks, obviously, that were involved, but you were on the forefront of this issue, and so effectively, it means a tax cut. Effectively, effectively, yeah. uh, it means more money in back back into their business, in, 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 in hiring hiring yeah. people, you know, and reinvesting, buying that ne- that piece of equipment, you know, maybe a piece of equipment they needed that they weren't going to buy that now they they're going to buy because they can depreciate it uh, in a in a way that's more common sense yeah, based, and, and maybe a piece of equipment they needed to be able to hire another worker yeah to get to work to expand their business to help somebody else get back on their feet i mean there's a lot of ripple effects of a policy like that um so you you should be really proud of of what you guys did on that it's great work um appreciate it the music i hear it is coming on yes that's a dead giveaway that we're about to go to break um heidi's nodding so that tells me i'm correct uh we've been really privileged to be joined in studio Drove all the way up from who knows where to be with us here. State Senator Ben Gilmore from District 1. When we come back, we're going to be joined with Congressman French Hill. And we'll talk more about many of these issues. Commitment to America that was just released by the National Republicans. And much more. Stay tuned. The Dave Ellswick Show.
Good morning, Central Arkansas. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. Nick Horton of Red Truck Strategies filling in for the great Dave Ellswick. And we are really privileged to be joined now by Congressman French Hill for Arkansas's 2nd Congressional District. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much. It's great to, to visit with you. Nick, it's great to be with you. Thanks for filling in for the great one this morning. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, my parents always told me I had a face for radio, um, so I feel I feel I feel qualified. But I, you know, it, it's sitting in the seat. Uh, you know, it's big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill for Dave. Um, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Um, wanted to talk about several issues, but I think first and foremost. We've been talking a lot in the earlier hour about inflation. Uh, obviously, it's something that's on everybody's mind. Uh, in, in my view, you're a, one of the preeminent experts on this issue with your background in finance and everything that you've done uh, in Congress as well. What are you hearing from folks about inflation? Um, and you know what, what's driving it? And what, what, what are you guys looking at as a caucus to try to rein this in? Yeah, it's such an important issue. And when I talk to uh, friends. I just was out with uh, farmers in Perry County recently, or I talked to business people here in Little Rock. Inflation always comes up because it's driving uh, wages up to try to keep up with inflation. It's driving up costs. It's making people hard to plan for their business, hard to make a profit in their business. Uh, Even in our hospitals, they're really struggling with the cost of supplies, medical devices, uh, and Wages, So it's disrupting our economy, and House Republicans want to go back to pre-pandemic spending. Uh, Joe Biden has authorized $5 trillion in extra spending on top of the $4.5 trillion that we spend every year to run the government. So first, wow. we're spending too much money, too fast. Uh, it's not funded. We're borrowing from China, Japan, and ourselves to do that. And that's why the debt has grown so quickly due to the the pandemic. Secondly, we need to not raise taxes on producers and manufacturing and energy, which Joe Biden proposes to do and has done. We don't need to raise regulatory burdens on trying to hire people and make it harder to hire people and get them trained for work. And Joe Biden has done that. And then finally, we need to unleash the American energy industry because energy, Nick, goes into every single decision we make. What we buy, every product has a huge energy component. Natural gas is how you make fertilizer. Uh, Energy goes into transportation of our goods, but it's everything made out of plastic is using energy. So we want to unleash American energy. Joe Biden has bottled it up and says he's not, but of course he has, and then he blames uh, uh, everybody else except himself for these challenges. Yeah, I uh, it, the five trillion dollars in new spending um, is just really, really mind numbing to me. I went while you were while you were talking. I went to usdebtclock.org to look at our our total national debt. Uh, it's just ticking so fast that you can barely read the numbers. We're now at over thirty one trillion dollars in national and debt. Exactly, and five trillion of that came as a result of the pandemic. You know, in the mm. spring of in the spring of 2020, we got the advice we got, right? I mean, what are we supposed to say? We're 
we don't sure. know. We've never faced a global pandemic, and Congress spent a lot of money. It was bipartisan under President Trump to fight that pandemic, and it was a massive amount of money, and we lost uh, a lot as a result of it. And that was the biggest jump in our debt in decades was due to the pandemic. But Joe Biden inherited low unemployment, low inflation, a secure border, a vaccine, a V-shaped recovery of jobs, and waning uh, COVID impact, meaning we knew how to cope with it. And he green-lighted another $5 trillion of spending since he, in just the 18 months, now almost two years, he's been in office. Yeah, it's uh, it's completely out of control. And just when you think it can't get worse, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Just more and more and more spending. Um, and it seems like it'll never end. Uh, we're talking with Congressman French Hill from Arkansas's 2nd Congressional District. Congressman, uh, I know you talked a little bit there about some things that, you you know, the Republican caucus is thinking about post-election. Um, and I know you guys also recently released the Commitment to America uh, anything, uh, w- w- what do folks need to know about the Republican commitment to America? Yeah, so we spent over a year meeting in groups uh, in the House Republican uh, conference, working on ideas on the things that we thought were the main problems facing our country, principally domestically, although we talk about uh, foreign policy as well. First, we want an economy that's strong. And we just talked about some of those key issues. We want to make the Trump tax cuts for families permanent. We want to rein in federal spending back to pre-pandemic debates. We want to lower the burden of regulation on small businesses. And uh, we want to get the economy back in balance uh, by uh, working to unclog supply chains, unleash American industry. The second point of the commitment to America is we want a nation that's safe, We think since the summer of 2020, this rhetoric led by Democrats, led by urban progressives about defunding police, no bail, no one serves a sentence. We think that's just created a crisis in community safety and impunity, where people think they can go just do whatever they want to and Mm. pay no criminal price for it. And we want to have work with our communities to make sure that our our cops, our city councils are, are operating to keep our communities safe. And at the federal level, by golly, we want to go back to some of the policies that worked under President Trump to close our border. We've had, we've had the record numbers in three decades almost now of, of illegal border crossings, no interior enforcement by the Biden administration, record amounts of drugs coming over, which is contributing to this opioid crisis we have in the country where 100,000 Americans died of an opioid overdose. And then, Nick, just two other quick points. We want to make sure the government's accountable, so we're planning oversight on what we need to do to hold the government accountable, whether it's the failed exit from Afghanistan or the IRS and their 87,000 new agents or the origins of COVID. We want to make sure that we hold the government accountable and then we want to protect everybody's individual liberties. So these are the things that we're going to focus on in our commitment to America. Mm, yeah, I think those are 
That's great. I mean, I think those are all the issues that uh, folks are really concerned about. Um, and I'm glad that I'm glad to see that Republican leadership in, in Washington is is listening uh, and reacting uh, towards towards what they're hearing from voters. Um, it's really encouraging. I, I know we talked a little bit about inflation and I've heard a lot of talk about what's driving that. People typically just say, you know, government spending. Um, but it's a really multi-layered problem. What what all what else do you think is really driving this inflation crisis? Well, the pandemic. When we the pandemic hit, we spent that five trillion dollars to save what we thought save the American way. We spent money paying for hospitals. We spent money bailing out the airlines. We spent money on PPP loans that saved 32,000 jobs here in Arkansas. And we spent $3.2 billion to do that here in Arkansas on PPP loans. And the list of that goes on and on. So spending too many dollars chasing too few goods drives that inflation start. And then the Federal Reserve began buying the debt during the pandemic. They bought a tr- over a trillion dollars worth of U.S. Treasury bonds, and they kept interest rates at zero, even though we didn't have an economic crisis. We had a public health crisis that caused the government to shut the economy down. And we knew we would get a V-shaped recovery, meaning a sharp recovery in jobs and economic growth, which is what we had. So we we encourage too many dollars out there. Um, and you can just see the surplus of cash in the economy. And that's the number one driver. And that's what we have to get back under control. But that's the demand side. On the supply side, we made it hard to drill for oil and gas and provide oil and gas. We made it hard to hire people due to government mandates. And then we had the supply chain disruptions from the global disruption of people not being able to go to work and make things. And ultimately, then we had the shock to supply chains of of Putin uh, invading Ukraine. So you're right, multiple issues. But this all started long before Putin invaded Ukraine. This all started when Joe Biden greenlighted this extra spending and the Federal, Federal Reserve kept interest rates too low for too long. Well, we're talking with uh, Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas 2nd Congressional District. Uh, Congressman, we're going to take a very quick break, and we'll be right back and talk more with Congressman French Hill. You're listening to The Dave Ellswick Show. The Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Nick Horton, filling in for the great Dave Ellswick, and we're privileged to still be joined by Congressman French Hill. Uh, Congressman, we've been talking about inflation. We've been talking about the economy uh, Republican commitment to America. I wanted to ask you about these 87,000 IRS agents. I mean, this is, to me, uh, concerning. Um, and I've seen you know, a lot of chatter out there, people saying, hey, you know, it's, it's not the 1% that these 87,000 IRS uh, agents are going after. It's, it's, it's us. You know? it's, it's the hardworking Americans that, because of inflation, because of rec- record government spending, because of all of these other problems are working hard just to make ends meet. And now they got 87,000 IRS agents looking over their shoulder. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you've set that up very well, and I think uh, we ought to shine a spotlight on this. So in the Inflation Production Act, which is what I call Biden's most recent spending 
uh, bill. Uh, I can't keep track of them, but that's the most recent one. Well, it's not because he's going to spend $600 billion next year trying to forgive student loan debt. So that's the most recent action. We could talk about that another time. But uh, he proposes an $80 billion, <clears throat> that's over 10 years, so let's be clear, $80 billion increase in the IRS budget. $45 billion of it, repeat, $45 billion of it, more than half, goes to enforcement. Goes mm. to enforcement. It's not building, you know, part of the other is going to replace the old 1970s COBOL. People who are listening don't even know what COBOL is, but it's a mainframe computer programming system. I remember it well early in my career. They're going to replace those old 1970s computers with modern technology. Good. Nobody's against that. That speeds up your return. That gives more accuracy. But $45 billion for enforcement is going after working people. It isn't going after the Forbes 400. You don't need $45 billion and 87,000 people to go after yeah. billionaires. Yeah. We know exactly who they are. So I'm afraid they're going to do what they said. They're going to go after $600 changes in your Venmo, uh, mm. in your checking account. They're going to go after self-employed people that are in pass-through entities. Uh, and Joe Biden, on top of that, just raised taxes on domestic manufacturers. They're going to go in there and audit that. Um, so Republicans would say, hey, if we're going to hire all these people, we want to replace people retiring and use productivity. Sure. Use some common sense here, but where we need people is on the southwest border. Uh, we need we need people uh, in a yeah. lot of other places that are a priority. This is not a priority. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and I, you know, if if I had five minutes with President Biden, I think I would ask, you know, who are the Americans with with record inflation, taxes at you know, near record levels, $31 trillion in national debt, records of numbers of people crossing the border, records num- record numbers of people on welfare. Who are the Americans that were sitting around just thinking, you know what we need? We need 87,000 new IRS workers. That, that would really solve some problems. I mean, it, it just boggles my mind. And in a country... State the obvious, but in a country that's built on the foundations of freedom and hard work, you've got folks. You mentioned the Venmo uh, example. You got folks who are selling products, trying to make some extra cash, trying to provide for their families. Now they got the federal government looking over their shoulder because they want a couple hundred bucks or whatever it might be. Uh, it's it's un-American. It's crazy to me. Uh, and it's it's just really, really upsetting. Do you think that's something, I think I've seen some chatter from congressional Republicans about this, but getting rid of or putting a, a hiring freeze on those new IRS workers, is that part of the commitment to America, or is that something you think Republicans will take a look at next year? I, I know they will, through oversight and the Ways and Means Committee. I think people, you'll see uh, bills to... Uh not authorize 87,000 agents. But this is why I hope we win the House and the Senate back. Yeah. Because, Nick, if we have the House and the Senate, we could use budget reconciliation because you only need 51% votes in both houses. And we could cut spending. We could reshape spending. We could say, okay, IRS, you can, you're can you able to spend more money over the next uh, 10 years. But for these reasons, yeah, not those reasons, you know, and you can hire people to replace baby boom retirements and new technology people you need. Sure. 
but you're not going to have 87,000 new agents in that size enforcement budget when there's no nobody can find a reason for that. We're talking with Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas 2nd Congressional District. Congressman, we've got about five more minutes. We've got a hard break here at, at the half hour. Um, but I wanted to ask you, uh, every time I open my social media, I see pictures of you just out and about. Uh, every Kiwanis Club, every festival, uh, you're, you're all over the district. And I know we've talked a lot about inflation and crime and the border and all these things. What other issues are you hearing about from Arkansans uh, as you're traveling your district in the state? Well, looking out for next year, um, two big topics. Uh, one is uh, we've passed some recent legislation uh, that helps veterans who were exposed to burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan or other poisonous um, <laughs> exposures. We want to make sure that the VA implements that next year. That's going to be a big issue I hear about from my veteran community when I'm out in all of the counties. Uh, the other issue is next year that we'll face a farm bill, uh, Nick. Every five years, oh, yeah. we, reauth- we reauthorize the farm programs. And that's always usually a very bipartisan effort, a lot of hard work. Uh, it's led in our delegation by Rick Crawford from eastern Arkansas and Bruce Westerman from southwest Arkansas. They're both on the Ag Committee in the House. And then John Bozeman is the senior Republican in the Ag Committee in the Senate. If we take the Senate back, he would become the chairman of the Agriculture Committee. So I think that's a big issue people are talking about. But the main issue uh, continues to be the cost of living and our wages not keeping up with uh, inflation. And for a lot of people under, say, 55 years old, they've never seen inflation like this. And I'm very outspoken about it because I grew up in my first career, in the middle of the last time, we had a 40-year high in inflation. I knew how hard it was to buy a house. I knew how disruptive it was to try to run a business. And once it takes off, it's hard to kill it. And inflation is imposed on you. You know, if you lose your job, you can go look for another job, use your skills, abilities, perseverance, patience, hard work, networking to go find another job. But the government imposes inflation on you. They take that money from you. That's why I think inflation's a thief. It's why the Fed and the federal government should be fighting to end it. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit last week about you know, inflation, obviously, you think of it when you go to the gas pump, when you pay your bills, you see the cost of everything going up, but it's also driving up the cost of work. And so it's driving up the cost of hiring, feeding into this labor shortage, which then further drives up the cost of goods and services. And it's just really this economic death spiral that we're in. And we, we got to stop the bleeding. We got to figure out how to put the brakes on some of this bad policy and get the train back on the tracks. Uh, Congressman, it's been really great to visit with you. Um, I just want to say, on behalf of, of myself and my family, you know, as a, as a proud Arkansan and a proud constituent, um, really grateful for the work that you do. Uh, we have a, we have, I think we're really fortunate in Arkansas to have many great members of our congressional delegation. Um, and you, in my mind, are just really uh, an expert on these types of economic issues. And I'm just yeah, grateful for what you're doing, grateful for the ways that you're leading, um, and, and just privileged to get a chance to talk with you this morning. Nick, great to be with you. Thanks uh, for those kind words. We've got a great delegation that works hard every day for our Arkansas families. Look forward to talking to you soon, and give my best today.
Okay. I will. Thank you, Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas 2nd Congressional District. When we come back, we'll be joined with Arkansas Republican Congressman Bruce Westerman from the 4th Congressional District. And we're going to talk to him about several of these same issues, uh, the election coming up, what's going to be on the House caucus agenda when we get into to next year and the next congressional session, uh, and maybe a little bit of football. He was a Razorback, right? He, he, he knows his sports. We've got to figure out what's going on with the Hawks. I agree. Uh, it's been a bad... It's been a bad couple weeks, yeah. so we might get into that a little bit with uh, with he, Congressman Westerman too about it. Yeah, and he knows yeah, some he, trees too. He knows a little bit. We'll be back. The Dave Ellswick Show. Well, we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton filling in for the talk show legend Dave Ellswick. Um, we've been talking a lot about some really important topics, topics that are, I think, very prevalent, very front of mind for Arkansas voters: crime, dependency, inflation. The election coming up in just a few weeks. What are we? Just a few weeks from early voting. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's coming uh, pretty quick. It's crazy. Yeah, how quick it's coming. Um, we had Senator State Senator Ben Gilmore on at six thirty. Then we just finished up a couple segments with Congressman French Hill, and now we're privileged to be joined by Arkansas Congressman Bruce Westerman from the Fourth Congressional District. Congressman, it's great to have you on. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Nick. Good to be with you. Hey, and I should have warned you, uh, we've got a state senator in the room as well. Uh, maybe somebody that you know a little bit, Senator, no, senator I, Gilmore. Th- this this is all about Bruce. Yeah. It's all about Bruce. Uh, good morning, sir. Forgive I, me. I want to say my congressman. Proud to say my congressman. Okay. All right. He does a great job for us. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Senator Gilmore and I were down in uh, Clark County last night uh, for the the Lincoln Day dinner, and you know we uh, he used to be on like paid on Team Westerman working out of my uh, field office down in El Dorado, but uh, he's moved on to bigger and better things and doing a great job there in the Arkansas Senate. Yeah, I think we're. I mean, don't tell him I said this, but I think we're pretty fortunate to have him in the in the state senate. So, boys, um, I'm just blushing. Thank y'all for the kind <laughs> words. But, uh, but the congressman had some really good words uh, last yeah, night, Nick. You hate you missed it. Yeah, uh, uh, Senator Gilmore was telling me about uh, your remarks last night. Uh, mind telling us a little bit about what you shared with the good folks of Clark County? Well, we talked about the uh, uh, the upcoming election and how the uh, you know, the biggest problem with Democrats is their policies. They just have really, really bad policies, and they want to put our country on the wrong track. So I talked a little bit about our commitment to America, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you and your listeners that you can go to commitmenttoamerica.com. That's one word, commitmenttoamerica.com. And you can uh, pull up all the information on, on our four-point plan uh, that, uh, you know, we want to focus on a – uh, an economy that's strong and a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom, and a government that's accountable. And we believe this is what the American people want, and we've, we're writing legislation to uh, put these uh, these plans into action to actually give substance to uh, to our policy agenda. <laughs> we've got to uh, you know, address these issues that are affecting everyday Americans here in the 4th District and across uh, the country. And, you know, inflation's at the top of the list on what we need to do to get our uh, economy in good shape and to quit putting so much financial hardship on people 
who are on middle or lower incomes and especially folks on fixed incomes um, it's a it's a real burden that's been created by this administration this is not by accident senator cotton uh, spoke last night and he was talking about how this is by design this is what the democrats mm. want they want high energy prices they want um, to turn people out of prison. They want an open border. They're poisoning our country with the fentanyl that's coming across the border. Uh, and it's time to put a stop to that. So uh, I only had a few minutes to talk. I didn't get to get into a lot of uh, details. But, uh, you know, also I, I shared at the end how as you know, much trouble it seems around us, there's a, there's a lot of comfort in there. And I shared the uh, some verses from the uh, from a song, from a hymn that I'd heard many times, but I'd listened to it yesterday, and um, it's, a, it's a powerful hymn. You might get Senator Gilmore. He's a pretty accomplished musician. Well, oh, yeah, well, you could sing us a few lines real quick. Well, I, I was sort of hoping that uh, the good congressman would sing us a few lines. Well, actually, I think my comment to you last night, Congressman, was I hope you. I was hoping you weren't going to sing us any lines. <laughs> but that was a, it was a really encouraging mes- message you had for us last night. It would have cleared the auditorium had I started singing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the hymn, uh, This Is My Father's World, and it, it talks about the mm. the beauty of God's creation. But at the end, it, it gives a, the final verse, gives a great message about how he's in control. And, um, you know, no matter how bad it gets, we've got that comfort to know that he's, he's still in control and uh, he's going to take care of uh, things in his way and his timing. And we're just, you know, here to do. Uh, the best work that we can and, and try to be pleasing to him amen congressman um you recently had a shifting gears a little bit you recently had a um, weekly column of yours talking about a new piece of legislation uh, i think you're you're working on uh, called the tap act and it's focused on energy policy obviously we know this administration the biden administration democrats um they don't want us to be um uh, they they want us to be reliant on foreign um, oil. They want us to be dependent. They don't want us to 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 drill. They've made that pretty clear. They they don't want us to uh, be self sufficient. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like I said, you had a great great column talking about that, uh, talking about kind of what your ideas were on how to uh, mitigate some of this with uh, future. Uh, administrations and and their perhaps disdain for uh, energy independence. Talk a little bit about that. And I think it's called the TAP Act, Transparency and Production of of American Energy Act. Yeah, TAP, TAP American Energy Act is uh, is the name of the bill. And this falls right into our commitment to America when we talk about an economy that's strong. Um, you know, energy is a foundational part of the economy. If you have high energy costs, it drives up. Um, costs throughout the economy. We're seeing it mostly uh, in food. We're seeing it in uh, in gas prices, obviously. Uh, but you know, nitrogen fertilizer is basically made from uh, natural gas. So if natural gas prices go up, nitrogen fertilizer goes up, and that drives up the cost of, of every uh, agriculture product that's out there. And that's why we're seeing such high food costs. And I think they're going to get even higher. But the, the Democrats have this idea that we're going to go all 
uh, we're going to end fossil fuels here in the United States, and it's a farce. Uh, the, the numbers don't lie. There's no conceivable way to get rid of all of fossil fuels in the United States, except if we had an all-out um, commitment to build nuclear power and guess what they don't want to build nuclear power either (laughs) and you've still got issues with transportation where you're going to need fossil fuels but the the big fallacies in their argument on the environment um, they think that somehow you can have everybody drive an electric vehicle and it's going to solve their global carbon problem but the demand for energy is rising exponentially around the globe and other countries don't really care about the carbon emissions so we can cut them uh, we could cut all 15 percent of our carbon emissions out here in the United States and that would be swallowed up by the uh, production in the rest of the world what we need to find is new technology that actually works and the Democrat energy policy does not work it's uh, uh, I'm, I'm saying that as an as an engineer and looking at the physics and the math that goes into uh, what it takes to produce energy and meet the demands and the uh, the goals of cleaner energy, and they're putting all their eggs into the wrong basket. So what we've got is an energy policy that makes sense. This will be a, a fundamental part of the commitment to America. It requires federal agencies to do their jobs. It doesn't allow administrations to cancel leases, to cancel pipelines. Uh, it requires those uh, agencies to do the jobs that Congress has mandated them to do in the past, but they find loopholes on how uh, not to do it to push their agenda. We did a similar bill on mineral production. Uh, We're blessed with all kinds of of minerals of every form and fashion here in the United States, but again, it's a not-in-my-backyard mentality that uh, we're going to build all these electric cars and electrify everything, but we're not going to mine the products that it takes uh, to build them. I had an op-ed, I think Fox ran it last week, talking about electric vehicles. And if if you could wave a magic wand and make every vehicle in the United States an an EV overnight, you would reduce uh, global greenhouse gas emissions less than 1%. But if you look at the Democrats' policy platform, you would think that was the savior of the world to to build all these electric vehicles. Uh, So... Basically, just common sense and using things that work is what we're putting into these energy policies. And it, um, when you talk about border security, when you talk about cracking down on fentanyl, when you talk about safer communities, um, the, the thing that stands out to me is Republicans have policies that, that actually work and address the issue, not uh, stand up some political agenda. Yeah, uh, I think you raise a good point. It's uh, it's a little disconcerting to me that, you know, Democrats can't, like, solve inflation or solve our spending problem or uh, solve the pandemic. or They can't do any of these other things, but then all of a sudden they expect us to all believe that they can, like, solve the weather, like, change the weather, control the weather. Um, it's, a, it's a little mystifying to me. Um, but uh, they used to, they would, they would create a problem so they could solve it, but now they, they create problems and don't know how to well, solve that's, the very problems they created. That's exactly right. Um, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, we're talking with uh, Republican Congressman Bruce Westerman from Arkansas's 4th Congressional District. Congressman, we've got to take a quick break, um, but folks, stick around. We'll be right back with Congressman Westerman on the Dave Ellswick Show. Nick Horton filling in for the great Dave Ellswick. 
Uh, we're joined in studio with State Senator Ben Gilmore. We can't seem to get him to leave, so he's just still here. Uh, and we're talking with Congressman Bruce Westerman. I think um, the congressman had that same problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he figured out how to solve it. Um, uh, congressman, uh, it's election season. Congress is in recess. You were in Clark County last night. I'm sure you're traveling all over the district. And we've talked about inflation, government spending, uh, kind of all of these other problems, commitment to America, and some Republican solutions to to, to try to fix some of these things. But uh, what else? What else have we not covered that you're hearing from people in your district? What What's on people's minds, and what are what's your sense of what voters are really worried about right now? I'll tell you, a concern is the the labor force. Uh, mm. Nobody can find it. It's like the pandemic happened. There was all the government funding that paid people not to work best we can tell that funding uh, huge amounts of it aren't there anymore but employers just they can't find people to work and uh, then they have trouble with um, uh, with drug testing uh, you know this um, um, the, the medical marijuana as we have it you know you got recreational marijuana going to be on the ballot I, I think that's one of the things that's hurting the labor force uh, but I hear it everywhere I go that uh, businesses can't find uh, employment. And I have more and more people reaching out to my office wanting to know how to sign up for the the guest worker program, which is, uh, you know, it's a good program. It's, it gets lumped in with immigration, and it's really not immigration. You're allowing people to come in and work seasonal jobs, and uh, you you keep up with them through the visa program. And, uh, you know, that, that works, but there's simply not enough um, – of those kinds of uh, guest workers coming in uh, to, to fill in. And especially when you're talking about farming and forestry and construction jobs, um, it's, it's really, really hard to find people to do that kind of work right now. And the, the pay is good, too. So uh, I think that's one thing that seems to be a mystery um, where, where all the employees went. We know that the labor participation rate is down, but how are people – surviving if they're not working and the government programs are drying up Mm, yeah that's a great that's a great thought um we're talking with congressman bruce westerman from arkansas's fourth congressional district uh congressman you mentioned forestry i know that's something that's kind of near and dear to your heart and i don't know why we as conservatives we just we don't talk about these issues of conservation as much um maybe we're worried about you know, being painted as an environmentalist. I'm a conservationist. I think, you know, God created this earth um, and we have a responsibility to take care of it. I don't think that means going to extremes and growing the size of government massively uh, in order to do that. But I do think we as individuals and as a culture have a, have a responsibility to take care of the, the environment. Um, what, what are you, what, what have you been working on in terms of forestry? I know you've been You've been digging into that issue for a while, traveling to some of the national parks. What what are you seeing that, that folks need to be aware of? Yeah, well, let, let me say a little bit about conservation. The, the word conservation comes from conserve and conservative. And it's uh, really, if you're a true conservative, you believe in conservation. And you know, one way you can look at conservation is you, you want to be stingy with your resources to keep them there when you when you need them there was a philosopher that said the the definition of a conservative is someone who believes in unchosen obligations so you know as a as a conservative i look 
back in history, and I believe that I have an unchosen obligation to uphold those tenets and the foundations of our country that were put in place by people that sacrificed before I got here. I have have a conservative nature and, and belief system towards that, but also as I look towards the future, I believe I have an unchosen obligation uh, to leave our resources in as good or better shape than I found them to pass it along to future generations. So um, really a, a conservative person would uh, naturally want to practice conservation. And conservation, again, is just good stewardship and taking care of what you got. And I believe most people have uh, that kind of a view. Well, and I'll, uh, I'll, just, it, I'll, I'll just jump in real quick. I, I'll just say there's no one better to uh, represent the 4th District. Um, obviously, you, you serve on the Natural Resources. You're ranking member there. But for a lot of folks that don't realize, you have a forestry background. You are a forester, uh, educated, and uh, obviously you, you went around the world building sawmills, um, which I think is perfect for Arkansas, perfect for the 4th District, and uh, certainly appreciate your work on the, on the Natural Resources Committee, which you're going to be chair of, Right. Yep. Uh, we're working hard. I'm making a lot of assumptions <laughs> that we're majority. that we're yeah. taking back the majority. <laughs> yeah, that'll. I'm in line to be the chairman of the committee uh, when we take back the majority, and uh, you know we're all working very hard for that. Not so that I can chair a committee, but so that uh, America can get on uh, on the right track and the craziness can stop in D.C. But uh, Nick, I'll just tell you real quickly a, a bill that I'm excited about is. Uh, uh, our job sequoia groves out in california we've lost 20 percent of them in the last two years and we've got a wow a bipartisan bill to go in and do the management out there um, to save these remaining trees there's only 37,000 acres of them on the planet they grow in about 70 groves on the um, western slope of the sierra nevadas typically above 4,500 feet in elevation it's very site specific for these uh, giant trees grow they're iconic, and uh, because we, I think we lost 20% of them in two years, and the, the last record the Forest Service had of one of these monarch trees being destroyed by fire was in 1267. So, you know, something's happened if we lose 20% in two years, but it got people's attention, and I think we're going to be able to pass this bipartisan bill, do the management in these sequoia groves, and it's going to be a an example of how we should be doing this all across the forest and it's a it's a crying shame from an environmental and the conservation standpoint when we're needlessly burning up these these forests because we've failed to be good stewards of them uh, over time and you know back to the, the way we measure environmental healthiness and the cleanliness of the environment is in air quality and water quality and forests are the, the link to both of those. Uh, they breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen, and they clean and filter the water that, that falls to the earth. So um, forests are kind of a link pin in having a safe and healthy environment. And it's uh, I, I didn't know this, but when I got to Congress, I was the only uh, person with a forestry education in Congress, and I'm still the only person. So I'm the, I'm the Forester Caucus in Congress. And uh, that affords me a lot of opportunity to to work on these issues. Well, that's great. We're glad you're there. That's a, obviously a very important issue and a very important issue to Arkansas's economy uh, in South Arkansas yes, in particular. Absolutely. The largest part of uh, 
our agriculture is the largest part of our economy, and forestry is the largest sector of agriculture in, in Arkansas. So, yeah, uh, the working important. pine forest of South Arkansas and our whole forest are treasures that we have here, and um, we need to take care of them and develop them even more. Congressman, uh, we got a, we got a hard break. You hear the music? Uh, Ben's been trying to help me get uh, better in cue with the breaks here. So uh, yeah, he's not really good at that. Yeah, guys. I'm still learning. It's only my second time in this chair, but thank you so much for joining. It's great to talk to you, Congressman Bruce Westerman. We're gonna take a break for an hour, and at nine o'clock, we're coming back. We got a couple more. Well, one more special guest. You're not gonna want to miss. So come back at nine o five. And we'll be back on the Dave Ellswick Show. State Senator Ben Gilmore, what a privilege, a treat to have you here. Bonus time with Senator Gilmore. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll talk to you. We have, we have, and we've got more to go. Um, But folks, stay tuned. Come back at nine o'clock, and we'll talk to you then on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is a special bonus hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Nick Horton, sitting in again for the great, the legendary, the handsome Dave Ellswick. Uh, it's really great to be back. It's been a lot of fun. we got a whole other hour ahead. I'm really excited about where we're headed. Got another special guest coming up here in just a couple minutes. Dave, if you're listening out there, um, we're going to have to talk when you get back. This... Uh, this coffee's pretty bad, and uh, Senator Gilmore was giving me a really hard time that I didn't didn't brew him any coffee before he got here, and uh, you know he probably should be thanking me because I, I went and got a cup, and then it's it's not good, brother. Um, we're gonna have to get you some uh, maybe some Round Mountain coffee. That's my that's my favorite spot in Conway. Really, really good coffee. I used to drink this stuff. You know, I got started on Folgers and Maxwell House and that was all my dad ever drank and we thought it was good until we tasted real coffee. Um so we'll 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 work on that. We'll work on that when when Dave gets back. Um but right now, very excited to introduce our next guest. Uh I'm going to want to call you Representative McKenzie. I don't know if anyone's called you that yet. Uh, it feels a little a little premature, but not really, right? Um, so we're joined by Britt McKenzie from Northwest Arkansas. He's an incoming state legislator, no opponent on the ballot this fall, and so he will be a state representative starting next year. Britt, thanks so much for making time. Yeah, Nick, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, so you're on in central Arkansas. I know it's not exactly your neck of the woods, but we got people listening online and listening uh, around the state, I know. Tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your district, your neck of the woods, uh, where you're from up there, and, and the district that you're going to be representing. Yeah, so um, I am running for the state house in District 7, which comprises most of uh, the eastern quarter of Benton County, um, downtown Rogers, Garfield, Gateway, and Avoca. Um, this this district goes right up to the, the Missouri border and, and touches the uh, the west side of Carroll County. Uh, so I have I'm, I'm looking out over my uh, my uh, kitchen window right now to the beautiful shores of Beaver Lake. So this district comprises most of Beaver Lake. Okay, so Benton County. Uh, we, we we cover parts of Saline County on this show where yeah. the city of Benton is, but that's not actually where uh, Benton County is. It's up in Northwest Arkansas, the Missouri border. Um, what uh, what what inspired you to run, Britt? I mean, you as far as I know, you've never run for office before, right? And so you you decided to jump in. What made you decide to do this? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I don't have a, a catalyst moment. You hear, you know, some some people and um, some elected officials in the national politics like Jim Inhofe from Oklahoma who um, had an issue with a permit that made him get involved in his um, uh, local city council. I don't have a catalyst moment. I have just kind of a background and a, a, a family upbringing that has always encouraged me to be involved in my um, my community and uh, be civically inclined. Um, I'm born and raised in Rogers, Arkansas, so uh, I'm, my childhood home is about five miles of the crow flies from where I'm sitting today. Um, and my parents kind of, uh, created an environment for me to, um, if I have, uh, if I have any issues or if I want to see change in my community, then it's coming upon me to go, go be that change. My parents were involved in, you know, Main Street Rogers and in, in downtown members of the Rotary Club, uh, uh, historic commissions, et cetera. So I've always had the, the spur in my saddle to get involved and, uh, be a part of the change I want in my community. Well, listen, I have no doubt that you're a real Arkansan because you just said, uh, as the crow flies, which yeah. is one of my favorite expressions. And when I say it to people from out of state, they kind of look at me like, what's wrong with you? Um, but it's, 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 a great, it's a great visual. It's a great... Uh, well, I could, Nick, I could have said it's about three hollers over, but I didn't. Three hollers. I Skip, hop, and a jump. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, so you're coming in as a legislator. Uh, you're going to get to represent, you know, kind of your hometown area, which has got to be really cool and exciting. What are some issues that you're really passionate about? What are some things that you're thinking about? You know, you have the luxury of not having an opponent, so you are effectively state state representative elect for District 7. What are you thinking about? What are What are some issues that you feel like you really need to tackle in your first legislative session coming up in January? Yeah. And, and I've been listening to the show for the last two hours and, um, I'm looking forward to the rest of the guests you have for this hour. There's a lot of great ideas. So, um, some of it might sound like what, uh, majority leader Richmond said or Senator Gilmore, or even, um, our representatives up in DC. Um, but, uh, I think what's incumbent upon us in this next 94th general assembly is to really look at ways that we can unleash our economic opportunity. Um, I, I heard, I heard examples of workforce development earlier. Um, I have the great fortune of being in Northwest Arkansas where we have some pretty strong tailwinds um, from some large corporations and some large organizations that have called Arkansas home for a very long time. 
Um, that being said, um, we can't use you know just a, a few specific companies to be um, the bedrock of our economy, not only North Arkansas, but um, the draft economy for the rest of the state. So unleashing economic opportunity through um, creating regulatory sandboxes so we can use emerging technologies, um, our resources built in here, like our two-year our two year schools and community colleges to get better certifications and uh, more specific degrees and um, uh, more specific degrees so that folks can go right into the workforce and start, you know, uh, contributing to our economy immediately. Um, I think any legislator that you have on the show, Nick, who doesn't talk about our state income tax is probably uh, missing the script a little bit. But um, And our 93rd, our current legislature, has done a tremendous job you know, with um, Senator Gilmore um, being kind of the tip of the spear on the Senate side um, in doing some of the work, like you mentioned, this, the depreciation schedule. Um, and we have hit triggers. Our legislature has hit triggers over the past several years and done great work to provide more for our Kansans. Um, I think if we can continue that that positive movement, if we can find ways to cut discretionary spending so that um, we can put more money back in our Kansans' pockets, I think that's, that's kind of um, the secret sauce that we really need to get to and, and honestly create some accountability so that voters and, and um, citizens of our great natural state can hold us accountable to getting on the road to zero, um, to, to projecting uh, hopefully a 0% income tax um, in the very near future, not scaling to an inappropriate amount or trying to move too quickly. But I think, I think that's kind of the red meat that sits in front of us for this next session in January. Yeah, we're talking with Mr. Britt McKenzie, the representative elect for House District 7 in northwest Arkansas. You touched on something there, talking about the state income tax and, you know, putting more money in the pockets of of hardworking Arkansans. It's really you can tell me if you relate to this, but it's so frustrating to me to see how the left tries and tries and with some success to demagogue that issue and make it all about, oh, you just want to help the wealthy and you just want to help corporations and yada, yada, yada. And all of these just, just straw men arguments that they bring out. At the end of the day, at least for me, and you can, you can react and weigh in on this, but for me, it's just, it's just a fundamental common sense truth that people know how to spend their money better than some government bureaucrat in some building somewhere that they've never met. And that doesn't mean that we can't have some programs and we, that, we, that we don't need some form of state government. Nobody's, well, very few people, I should say, are advocating for just burning it all down. But there's a fundamental truth here that government is just not very good at knowing how to spend your money and you're better at it than they are because you know your family and you know your budget and you know your needs. Uh, and it's frustrating to me to see how that issue gets so demagogued. Yeah, I think I couldn't have said it better myself. And, and the, the thought that kind of comes to the top of my mind is ultimately we're trying to get to a place where within our tax policy, with our tax code, we have fairness and and. That's what which you mentioned the left likes to use to demagogue the issue. Um, I don't know about you, Nick, but I think of nothing more fair or more flat than a, a state income tax at zero percent. Um, so yeah. <laughs> if, 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 if that's like really that. the issue and we're trying to, yeah, if, 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 you know, we're having folks on the other side saying that, you know, this is really going to disproportionately benefit the wealthy, um, I think zero represents zero to, to people of all economic um, 
situation. So, um, yes, back to your point, getting getting money back in the pockets of all our Kansans is ultimately, hope, hopefully, our mission, especially with this fledgling economy that we have right now. Again, you know, staring down what could be more quarters of, of uh, double-digit inflation. Um, I think folks around the kitchen table, you know, are, could benefit from having a few more dollars in their pocket. Yeah, I, I uh, definitely agree with that. I think you've got a an audience here in Little Rock that uh, that certainly agrees as well. We're talking with Britt McKenzie from Northwest Arkansas, the representative elect for uh, for House District Seven up there in the great part of uh, of our state, up in Northwest Arkansas. Um, so we talked about income tax. Um, we talked about crime. We've talked about a lot of issues today on the show. What you know, Britt? I know you're. Even though you don't have an opponent, I know you're still very active in your district, and you're out talking to folks and hearing from voters. What else are you hearing? What what what's what's top of mind, front of mind for voters as you're talking to folks, going to to public events, uh, and hearing from people that are you know struggling to make ends meet? What what are they worried about right now? And it's, it kind of touches on something you've already discussed at length earlier, but it builds on it a little bit, in my opinion. Um, obviously, violent crime and the, the persistence of violent crime in certain areas of Arkansas is, is a big issue to everybody. It's, it's tough for small business owners. Um, it's tough for individuals who want to invest in their communities to uh, want to continue to invest when you know, we have um, crime at, at high levels and there doesn't seem to be um, you know, tipping downward at all. But building on that a little bit is um, I had the great fortune of spending some time with a group of um, legislators the other day um, and our uh, Benton County Sheriff and, and Benton County Prosecutor and toured our, our Benton County jail facility. Um, so crime is, is clearly an issue, but as we as we take a zoom out of it and look at it um, in terms of what it represents in our communities, you know, we're seeing jail um, overcrowding at a rate that we have never seen before. And part of that is due to um, the success and growth of our community in Northwest Arkansas that we didn't anticipate to need have a need for a nearly thousand person um, jail it, within 20 years of, exi- of, the, of the existing jail facility. But um, we're seeing now that our uh, our law enforcement officers, um, our, our sheriff's department is having to turn out uh, misdemeanor crimes um, and cite people out as opposed to, you know, do the do what's right in terms of uh, entering these individuals into our criminal justice system, um, having them you know, stand for bond hearings and then ultimately stand for sentencing um, because we are just too overcrowded. Um, I, the, the, the tour itself was a really eye-opening experience for me. And um, I, I see, and you know, when I talk to people in the community, it's something they're concerned about as well, because, we have all these individuals who are, you know, it's, it's plus one crimes. It's, you know, domestic abuse plus a, a drug charge. And those people are right back out on the streets within hours, not for lack of trying on behalf of our law enforcement officers, but because of lack of scale. So mm. it's, it's building a little bit more on what you mentioned, but we really have got to do what we need, what we can, not only from a state level and building this back into the legislature conversation, we need to do what we can at the state level to um, provide facilities that takes back into custody, um, uh, uh, state uh, uh, cr- criminals that are in our state system and, and failing to take them out of our local municipal uh, jails. Yeah, we're talking with Britt McKenzie, state representative-elect for Northwest Arkansas. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, folks, on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Nick Horton sitting in for Dave. Uh, stick around. We'll have more with Britt McKenzie right after this break. 
Well, we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton, Red Truck Strategies, redtruckstrategies.com. If you want to learn more about our business and how we might be able to help you, if you're a nonprofit or a candidate or a small business here in Arkansas, we can probably help you with something because we've done just about everything. So redtruckstrategies.com if you want to learn more. We're uh, we're delighted to still be joined with, uh, or by, I should say, uh, Representative-elect Britt McKenzie from Northwest Arkansas. Britt, I wanted to ask you, so, uh, you know, you don't have an opponent, uh, and so you're very fortunate uh, to be able to have some free time to maybe engage with some other campaigns and things that are happening around the state. We've got a pretty competitive house race here right around uh, the Little Rock area. Ashley Hudson versus Heather Turchie uh, up in Conway where I live and the area that I live. We've got Trent Minner taking on Representative Steve McGee, a, a longtime incumbent Democrat who frankly just has not voted consistently with the values of, of most Arkansans. Uh, any comments, any any thoughts, predictions, uh, anything you're seeing in any of these other races around the state? Yeah, I mean, Nick, I'm just, I'm over the moon about some of the, the, the cast of candidates we have in every corner of the state. Um, you don't have to go far from my home to find you know, a candidate like Brian Hester um, in Farmington and parts of Fayetteville who's, who's putting up an amazing campaign. Um, he's a you know sound conservative uh, candidate that I think we would all benefit from having in the state legislature this next year. Um, you know, you mentioned Trent Menner. I think he's the, the, the largest upshot that we have in the entire um, uh, group of, of candidates that could be coming in. Uh, Heather Turchie um, uh, in, in Little Rock. We've got Joey Carr up in Northeast and uh, like Wade Andrews down in Southern Arkansas. So, I mean, what, my general comment is that we have some amazing candidates that um, can that are poised to be uh, coming into this next legislature this next year who stand for true conservative values. And um, I've, I've done my best to help um, some of those candidates. Some of them I've got some geographic blocks that are hard for me to get get down to Southern Arkansas or over to over towards Jonesboro. But um, they are just all phenomenal candidates and. You know, talking about them on programs like this are great, and um, having attention and profile on their races is great. But um, I always say, because some of my background, some of my history is working in you know, political operations, is you know, yard signs don't vote, bumper stickers don't vote. These folks need your help. They need resources to get them across the goal line. Um, you know, November eighth will be here before we know it, and uh, anything that you know the listeners out there today, or you know, folks in those communities can do to help them, um, go knock doors. Go lick envelopes, do whatever you can, because we need folks like Heather Turching and Brian Hester and Trent Minner and Wade Andrews and Joey Carr in the legislature next year. Well, it really is remarkable. I mean, I'm just just old enough to remember a time when, yeah, right when I was first kind of getting involved on the on the state political scene, the legislature hadn't quite flipped red. Certainly, the constitutional offices were not red yet, uh, and kind of being there at the at the very beginning of this big wave that's happened, you know, um, there were, to, to a degree, uh, you know, we were looking for warm bodies to put on the ballot for a while. I mean, we just needed somebody to run and, and had a lot of success, frankly, because people were just tired of the Democrat values and, and not being represented in Little Rock. And now you fast forward about 10 years and it really is, to your point, it's remarkable, not only the quantity of candidates that we've had and the number of primaries that we had back in May, but the quality of some of these candidates. I mean, all the folks you mentioned, Trent Minner, Heather Turchie, Brian Hester, um, these are very 
accomplished people uh, in the private sector, some in government, uh, but but really, uh, really a, a, a great group. Um, and I think that kind of leads me to my next question. The thing I wanted to really just hear from you, Britt, and we've got a hard break coming here up here at nine thirty, so I want to be mindful of yeah. that. But how exciting is this for you? I mean, for me as someone who's been an activist and worked in the movement and kind of seen it from from the outside but to be one of these young conservatives that's coming in with this army of other young conservatives saying hey it's time to really get to work and start fixing this stuff that our parents were talking about 15 or 20 years ago that we still haven't addressed we're going to fix it now because we've got kids and our kids are going to grow up here and we're not going to let them inherit the same problems that we've had to deal with how exciting of an opportunity is this for you I mean, just immensely exciting. And uh, I heard you mention earlier in the program about um, trying to deliver not only conservative um, policies and a conservative agenda um, as a new legislature with you know, high hopes and ambitions, but we also have, we're going to have a new governor, and that governor is going to be Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And I can't think of a, a, a better time. I really believe it's like a true inflection point um, in the history of our state where we're going to have people who represent their communities. And that's, I think, what you're getting at when you talk about these folks from all over the state. We have people who better represent their communities and the change in those communities for true conservative values um, matched up with um, a, a larger legislature who has done great work already and will continue to do good work and the flywheel will continue to evolve and a, and a governor who you know is a, a force of nature and who is going to help deliver for our Kansans what we've been waiting for for a really long time so just over the moon man it's going to be a it's going to be fun January can't come soon enough but um, I want to uh, say thank you, and I appreciate the time for, for having me on the program today. Well, uh, the honor is all of all ours, and we are grateful to have you on. Um, I want to say, as I've said to many young legislators over the last few years, thank you for stepping up and running um, and putting your family and your career and all these other things, uh, you know, in the balance of having to also be a state legislator, you know, especially living so far away from the Capitol. Uh, you know, it's a real it's a real sacrifice. And even even some of these younger legislators that I may not agree with on every issue, I just appreciate what they're doing um, because it, it really is public service and yeah I mean politics is politics but at the end of the day I, I appreciate you and so many others who, who have stepped up to run we're going to a hard break Britt McKenzie thanks so much take care my friend we'll talk soon this is the Dave Ellswick show we're back on the Dave Ellswick show Nick Horton of Red Truck Strategies filling in for Dave once again um, we've had a lot of fun today a lot of great guests we had Congressman Westerman Congressman French Hill we had House Majority Leader Representative Marcus Richmond. We had State Senator Ben Gilmore. And then we just finished talking to Representative-elect Britt McKenzie from House, the newly created, newly formed House District, House District 7 in Northwest Arkansas. If you want to go back and listen to any of those interviews, and I would encourage you to because... They were pretty good, not because of me, because we had some great guests and talked about some really relevant issues, I think. Uh, you can do that at 101fmtheanswer.com, 101fmtheanswer.com. And by the way, if you missed our interview with Sarah Sanders last week, our next governor, you can go check that out as well. You can check it out there or at redtruckstrategies.com. You can listen to our interview with the next governor of Arkansas. 
Uh, we were talking with Britt there a little bit before the break, and and I want to say, you know, look, we all we all know we all know politicians. We all watch the news, right? We all see they're imperfect people, just like all of us. But I really do, I really do admire him, David Ray, Representative Ray, uh, Representative uh, Austin McCollum, some of these young whippersnappers, kind of like myself. I mean, these, these folks have careers, they have families, they have a lot of other things that they could be doing. And I have to tell you, they don't get, you know, their legislative salaries are not particularly great. They're not doing this for the money. They're doing this because they love Arkansas, and I believe because they want to solve a lot of these generational problems that we've been dealing with for years and years and years and decade after decade after decade. And it's a sacrifice. They put a lot of other things on hold. They spend time away from their families. A lot of these folks have to drive guys and gals from northwest Arkansas down to Little Rock. It, it, it can be grueling. And I think sometimes, I don't know, Trent Minner and I talked about this a little bit in our interview last week. But I'm on a little bit, I'm on a little bit of a mission to restore a little bit of decency in our political discourse. I know I just lost some of you. Uh, you're like, who's this? Who's this liberal that's on the on the radio? But really, I mean, government is not good, right? Government is not good at very many things. Sometimes it's really easy to, even unfairly, uh, transpose that onto our elected officials, and we certainly have elected officials that are not doing a good job. Again. Do not get me wrong. Do not take me out of context on this. Uh, there are plenty of them that need to go because they're not doing a good job. They're not representing the people and the values of, of the people. They're not doing what they said they would do. Sen- Senator Ben Gilmore is another one in terms of someone who has you know, signed up and said, I'm going to serve. And there's a lot of other things he could do. But he's serving, and he's serving well. And so I just, I just want to say that because I, it is really easy to criticize. I've, I'm very good at it. Uh, some of you that know me know that. It's a lot more difficult to say thank you sometimes and to recognize when, you know, people do a good job. They need to be told they're doing a good job. I don't know where you work or what your work environment's like, but imagine if your boss just only ever criticized you. And that's a little bit what happens sometimes in the political world. We're the boss, quote-unquote. We're the people. We're in charge. They work for us. I agree with all that. But we don't give them any credit when they do good things sometimes, and that's a dangerous place to be. For a lot of reasons. Partially because what you know, what incentive do they have to continue to do good things or to take on big issues 
if no matter what they do, they get criticized. Well, you didn't go far enough. Yeah, you cut income taxes, but you didn't cut it enough. We've still got an income tax. I am one million percent in favor of eliminating our state income tax. It should be a top priority until we get it done. It punishes work. It's led to a massive expansion in state government. It's got to go. But just because we're not getting there, just because we haven't gotten there overnight, doesn't mean we're not making progress. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to make significant progress in the next legislative session. And I think we'll, uh, we will. And, and on, this, on this question of, you know, this topic of government doing things well, I was, I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. Like, is there anything, is there anything that government does well? And that's not to say that, like, we shouldn't have government. I'm not an anarchist. I'm not a big L libertarian. I'm a little L libertarian in a lot of ways. Um, but what, like, what does government do well? And there are core things that government should be doing and should be doing well. Paving roads, providing safe Quality schools, arguably, you could say. That's a legitimate role of government. Providing a safety net for people that truly have nowhere else to go. Not a, not a hammock, right? Not an open-ended welfare program for people that are able-bodied and working age. But a quality safety net for people that have nowhere else to go. I think, well, I don't think I know because I've seen polling on this for years and years and years. 80% of of Americans agree with that. And yet government doesn't do any of those things well. And so I was trying to think, I was trying to think of an analogy that would kind of explain it's imperfect, but why is it that there's core things that government should be doing and should be able to do well, but they aren't or they can't? And to me, it's, you know, it's sort of like, imagine if you're a business owner. Imagine if you owned a pizza shop and you got a really great pizza shop and you're making pizzas, you're, you're selling them faster than you can bake them. And then one day you decide, you know what? We're going to go into the asphalt business. We're going to start selling asphalt. And maybe... Maybe you sell a little bit of asphalt, but you don't really know anything about the asphalt industry or the chemistry or the engineering expertise that's required to to go into it. And then you decide, you know what? The asphalt industry, yeah, you know, it's fine. It may not be our highest and best uh, use of our resources, but we're selling some asphalt. But you know what would really take us to the next level we're going to manufacture chapstick we're going to start making chapstick and we're going to make we're going to make the best chapstick in the world and then we're going to start a car service and then we're going to start making golf clubs and then we're going to start and you just start adding and adding and adding and it doesn't take very long at all 
until you know what you're you're a pizza company that makes kind of terrible pizza and you're not selling any pizzas anymore because you've grown into so many things that you have no expertise or business being involved in and that's kind of like state government and just government in general there's some core things that government needs to do and they need to do them really well pave the roads pay the cops pay the teachers and go home bake some pizzas and go home but instead and and you know we could go we could go off on this for for days and days um you know the nature of man the desire the, the the insatiable desire of government to grow and to control everything but at the end of the day it's theoretically possible and i would say much more likely that government could be really good at paving roads and fixing bridges and solving this crime crisis keeping us safe fixing our failing schools We've got a massive problem in our schools right now with a huge number of kids that aren't ready in reading. And theoretically, if government got really serious about being really good at those things, baking the pizzas, to to stick with our analogy for a minute, theoretically, I think government could be pretty good at some of those things. And I think there's a there's a role for them to play there, but they're not they're not focused on that. They're not focused in their attention in how they spend resources. They just want to do everything. And again, think about your own life. You've got a job. You've got a career. You've got things you're responsible for. Let's say you're a mechanic. And all of a sudden, you decide to start taking on shifts as a pizza delivery driver. And then you start taking odd jobs at another local business. And then this, and then this, and then this. And then eventually, you're not a very good mechanic. Because you're tired, and you're stretched too thin. And that's what state governments become. And the left just wants to demagogue, and demagogue, and demagogue, and just say... Well, you just hate government, and you just don't want to help people. And actually, the exact opposite is true. We as conservatives, we want to do those things. We want to help people that truly need help. We want to pave the roads. We want to fix our schools, and we want to restore law and order. And the vast majority of people agree with us. We're going to talk more about this in our last segment. You're listening to The Dave Ellswick Show. Nick Horton filling in for Dave. We'll be right back. We're back. Uh, the last segment of The Dave Ellswick Show. Kind of bummed. It's been a fun couple weeks. Um, Dave, we're ready for you to come back. But uh, the next time you go on vacation, give me a call because this has been a lot of fun. Um, I got a text from a from a friend, a business owner uh, in the Cabot area during the break and 
And they said, I can assure you my business is not going to be making golf clubs or, or chapstick anytime soon. Um, and, it, and it sounded like the uh, the analogy connected a little bit there. So I appreciate that feedback. Um, and, yeah, please please don't do this. It would probably be bad for your business. Um, so we're talking about government. And we're talking about government trying to do too much. And so much that they really can't do anything well. And I think that's... In a lot of ways, you know, you name the issue, crime, welfare, tax policy, whatever it is, and the shoe fits. This is, this is the problem that I've identified with state government and government in general. So far away from the core focus that they really can't do anything right. Very little can they do right. So if you're listening to the show... And you're not driving. Uh, and I don't think I, I think Dave would be happy that I'm that I'm doing this on his show. Um, go pull up your phone, get out your computer. I want you to go to opportunityarkansas.org. Opportunityarkansas.org. Now I'm letting you in on something. It's not super publicly known yet but it's out there it's online we're not going to have time to talk a ton about it today Um, probably be coming back in the next couple weeks I hope to talk with Dave about what this is all about just going to tease it a little bit today because we don't have time to go super in depth but I'll say this if if you agree with pretty much everything you've heard on the show today about our crime crisis about our dependency crisis about the growth of government in Arkansas I want you to go to opportunityarkansas.org there's not much there yet but I would ask you to sign up for the email list And you're going to see a lot of information coming out very soon from this new organization. If you agree that violent crime in Arkansas, that's 70% higher than the national average, if you think that's a problem, you're going to want to sign up. If you think having one in three people, one in three people in the state of Arkansas are on Medicaid. One in three. If you agree that that's a problem, and you agree that we should have a Medicaid program, we should have a strong Medicaid program. I mean, that's that's the foundation of of a lot of what we've been talking about, and conservatism in a lot of ways. If you're truly uninsurable and you have nowhere else to go, yeah, government should, and taxpayers should chip in and help make sure you get basic care. 80 plus percent of people agree with that, including myself. But one in three people on Medicaid, uh, several hundred thousand of whom are able-bodied working age, 
We need them. You know, you heard Congressman Westerman and Congressman Hill talking about the worker shortage. Walk into any business in Arkansas. Ask them if they're hiring. Ask them if they're having a hard time finding workers that will show up on time and really just show up at all. It's a huge problem. And it's being driven by, in large part, the fact that we're giving working age, able-bodied people endless Medicaid benefits. Why would they go? Why would they go to work? So, if you agree with that, you're going to want to sign up. If you agree, we talked a lot last week with a few national and in-state experts on foster care. If you agree that our foster care system is completely broken, and as Andrew Brown, our guest last week, said, we've got to completely reimagine what foster care looks like. I think you're going to want to sign up at OpportunityArkansas.org and hear more about that. And tax reform. I mean, that's been a theme of today and last week, and I know it's something Dave talks about all the time. Why do we punish people for working? Why do we say why why does government think that they're entitled to 5% of our paycheck? State government. Don't even get me started on the federal tax code. So, something's got to change. And you've heard from Senator Gilmore, Representative Lake McKenzie, we talked last week with Trent Minner, probably going to be in the legislature next year. There's a moment here. Well, we talked with our next governor, Sarah Sanders, and heard about what she wants to do to solve the crime crisis and put more people back to work and reduce dependency. And she's been talking a lot about the foster care crisis and out having forums and talking to people in that community about what we can do. There's a moment here. We've got a chance to solve the generational problems that my parents and your parents were talking about 20 years ago. Your grandparents were talking about 40 or 50 years ago. We gotta we gotta seize this moment. We can't we can't pass this on to our kids. Arkansas deserves better. Our kids deserve better. I want my kids to stay here. You know, I don't. When they grow up and graduate, I don't want them to move away. I want them to stay in Arkansas and find a good-paying job. I want my grandkids to be close by. So we got to start that work right now. So I'd encourage you to go to opportunityarkansas.org, sign up for the mailing list, and you'll be hearing more soon. I am Nick Horton. It has been a treat to fill in for Dave Ellswick and uh, hopefully he'll have me back at some point but until then so long and thanks for listening this is the Dave Ellswick show
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.